James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. James says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now, like I said before we got started uh, in our study here, right before the prayer, this passage that we just are going to break down tonight, we're going to study, actually almost kept the book of James from being accepted as a part of the canon of Scripture. There was a lot of strict requirements that the books had to meet in order for the group of men that were gathered together to prayerfully decide what was Scripture, what wasn't Scripture. And one of the things that they wrestled with was the fact that it appears that James is contradicting what Paul has said. Because if you remember, Paul said you're saved by grace through faith and not what? Not works. Well, go to that passage real quick. Go to Ephesians chapter 2 and look at verses 8 and 9. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, and, and I'm going to have you keep a finger there because we're going to come back to it in just a second. But in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, God through Paul says this. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Keep a finger here in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Go back to James chapter 2 and look at verse 24. James says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So when you put those two together, they sure appear to be contradicting each other. One saying you're not saved by works, but by faith alone. The other one saying you're not saved by faith alone, but by works. And here's what's going on. As they prayerfully wrestled with this, they came to realize that James and Paul weren't saying two opposite things. They were actually saying the exact same thing, but they're coming at it from two different angles. And let me explain to you what I mean by that. Go back to Ephesians chapter 2. Look at the very next verse. He's just said you're not saved by works but by faith. But look at what verse 10 says. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Actually, what Paul said was this. is We're not saved by anything we do. That doesn't save us. Faith is what saves us. Yet, if you have faith, it will be demonstrated by your good works and the evidence of your salvation. James was dealing with a group of Christians 
Jewish Christians who had come out of the legalism of, of Judaism. Remember, the, the, the Judaistic mindset was that they had to be good enough in order to be righteous before God. And they had put their faith in their good works. And now they've been told, no, it's not your good works that makes you righteous. It's faith in God that has, makes you righteous. Faith in his provision for your sin. And now we know who the provision of your sin is, and that's Jesus. It all has been pointed to, one been pointed to all along. And so there were some that just jumped so far away from having to earn their salvation, they just said, we're just saved by faith alone. I just, I have faith. That's all I need. And James is now dealing with a group of people that are saying they have faith, but there's no evidence in their lives of good works that they really had faith. And this is what this whole section is going to be dealing with. And we're going to spend our whole time tonight really kind of breaking this down and hopefully allowing the Spirit of God to let this truth sink in, because this is very important for all of us. This is actually one of the many ways we can test through the Spirit of God whether or not we're really saved. Not that we say we're saved, or not that we say we believe, but that there's actually evidence that God has come to live within us and has proven through what He does through us that we're saved. And so we're going to do that tonight. We're going to take a little bit of time in, in, in breaking this down. And so what I want to do is I want to show that actually what James and Paul are both trying to say is that real salvation will be evidenced by our actions. It's actually what John the Baptist taught and what Jesus taught. Go back with me to Matthew chapter 3. In Matthew chapter 3, look at verses 7 through 8. John the Baptist, as you know, is preaching a message of repentance. And if they are ready to repent and acknowledge their need of a Savior, and that the fact that they were sinners, they would be baptized. And in verse 7 of Matthew 3, But when he, John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath from the wrath to come, bear fruit in keeping with Repentance. In other words, what he said to them was this. You guys are coming forward and you want to be baptized by me. But I know your hearts. You're doing this more as a show. It ain't real. You want me to baptize you so that you, you are going to give evidence that you're repentance? Let's go see some evidence of your repentance first. And then I'll baptize you. That's what he was saying. Go ahead, Bill. Just a question, when I look at this, mine says justified by works, not saved by works. Well, and justified and saved are the exact same thing. Justified is when we're declared righteous. Justification means we are declared righteous by God, as if we had never sinned. That's what happens when we're saved. In the, the Greek or something on both of those, or is that the same word? It's the same word, but they, in the translation, whichever you have, the English Standard Version here says saved, but whatever translation you have, just use the word justified. But being saved and justified are the same thing. You know, our salvation has three parts. Justification, sorry, justification, sanctification, and glorification. So when the Bible talks about salvation, all three of those are in mind. Justification happens when we trust Jesus as our Savior, and He knows that our faith is real, which will be evidenced by works, as we're going to see tonight. And He declares us righteous. He seals us with His Spirit. We're His. We're in the process, though, of being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, and those good works are going to start being seen in our lives. That's the sanctification process. Glorification is the final part of our salvation, which has already begun because we're saved, but it won't be fully revealed until we're in heaven. So, in the same way, what James is saying is, you say you have justification, let's see some sanctification. You see what I'm saying? If you're really justified, you're definitely going to be glorified one day. But in the meantime, 
Let's see some sanctification. Let's see some change in your life that shows that you're really saved. And that's what's really going on here. And that's why Paul in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 said, you're not saved by anything you do. You don't earn your salvation. It's a gift. But you were saved for good works, which God prepared in advance that we should do. John the Baptist said to the Pharisees, I don't believe you're for real. Let's see some evidence that you're for real. Just saying you repent. And he knew the attitude of their hearts. They were, John the Baptist was starting to get a crowd of people. They were start, he was starting to become another big man on campus. And the Pharisees and Sadducees wanted to get tied in with him so that everybody would still like them. And John knew their hearts. Let me give you an example of what we're talking about. Go to John chapter 12. Go ahead. Isn't it also that Paul's focus was really in our relationship with God versus our relationship with man? James focusing on, like, you know, justification in front of man. Paul, justification in front of God. I, you could say that maybe he leaned one way more than the other, but they're really both saying the exact same thing. Paul's, Paul, remember, it came out of Judaism, and now he's preaching as an ambassador to the Gentiles, and he's saying... Look, you don't have to earn it. It's a gift. You just have to believe it and receive it. And so that was the message that he was preaching. In the same way, James is dealing with Jewish Christians who have come into faith, and they're trying to break free from that legalism. And so they're just saying, well, I just have to believe, and that's enough. And James is saying, don't give up on the good works. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? So, and that's what's really going on. But look at John chapter 12. Here's an example of what we're talking about. In John 12, 42 and 43, it says, Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in Jesus. It says, my translation says him, but it means Jesus. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so they wouldn't be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So, according to what we're talking about here, were these people that believed in Jesus saved? They believed in Jesus. No. Yeah, we're going to get to even the demons believe and shudder. This is what is going on here. They believed. They understood it to be true. But they were more worried about what other people on the earth were thinking. And therefore, they wouldn't confess that they believed. And Jesus himself said, unless you're willing to confess me before men, I won't confess you before my father. As you're going to see, and I'm going to keep from trying to get ahead of myself tonight. The Bible says there's lots of people that say they believe. And there are a lot of people that do understand. And they believe it to be true. I know of people that have said to me, I do believe that Jesus is God. And I do believe that he died for my sins. But I ain't given him my life. Is that person saved? No. There needs to be evidence that we truly have believed. Saying we believe is not enough. Is there evidence? Go ahead, Rick. If you deny before, before men, and that's the part I just confessed, but you missed it. And the part, that part that I just said. But yes, that's the exact same passage. It was, it's Jan's fault. She was talking in your ear. Okay, I understand. No problem. All right. Go to Matthew chapter 5. Go to Matthew 5. Look at what Jesus says here in verses 14 through 16. Matthew 5 verses 14 through 16. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people put light in a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, 
Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Listen to what Jesus is saying. Look, I didn't save you so that you can go to heaven. I saved you so that I could use you and produce good works through you so that others would come to heaven and that they would glorify me because what they see you do. You don't save somebody and then just say, okay, go hide that and keep that to yourself. I've had too many people say, well, my, my faith in God is a personal thing. That's between me and God. That's not what Jesus says. It's not between you and God. It's between you and God and in front of the world. And if you're not willing to allow him to live his life through you, you better check and make sure you really have it. And this is what James is talking about. Go ahead, Jan. I've also heard good works don't get you to heaven, they follow you. That's a great way to put it. Good works don't get you to heaven, but they follow you to heaven. And they're evidence that you are going to heaven. And we're going to talk about that some more. Again, like I say, there's so much to this, and I'm doing my best to try to stay with my notes so that I don't run too far ahead. Go to Matthew chapter 7. Again, as we look at James and Paul, all they're doing is saying the same thing Jesus has been saying all along. Matthew 7, look at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Not everybody that says, I believe, is going to heaven. But those who actually have the good works of obedience and do what God says. Now, I want to give you a danger, though, and this is kind of what you just touched on, Jan. Be careful, though, of putting your faith in your good works. Go to the very next verses. Verse 22 of Matthew 7. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So Jesus says, hang on for a second. Just because you say you believe in me doesn't mean you believe in me. The ones who are really saved are the ones who have good works and evidence of their salvation. The ones who do the will of my Father. Yet, at the same time, there's going to be many who put their faith in their good works. And when they stand before me and I say, you're not in, they're going to wait a minute. Say, wait a minute, Lord, I, I preached. I, I cast out demons in your name. I did all this stuff. And the fact that they said, I did all this stuff. I should get into heaven is showing that their faith was in what? In his provision for their sin or the fact that they did the good works. Do you see the danger here? This is why it's very important that we let the Spirit of God help us understand the depth of all this. You don't get to heaven because you've been good. You get to heaven because you have received the free gift of salvation through faith in the fact that Jesus lived the sinless life. He died in your place. He rose from the dead. And when you, by faith, truly believe that, He seals you with His Spirit because He knows everyone's hearts. And when He knows you're for real, He'll seal you. And then His Spirit comes to indwell you. And oh, by the way... The ones he seals, he will produce good works through them. James is dealing with a group of people that are saying, well, belief is enough. James says, actually, if there isn't evidence, it's not belief. That's where we're going. Now, go over to James chapter 4. Again, we're just kind of laying out scriptures that have been here all along that talk about the whole balance between saying you believe and actually allowing God to live it through you. In James chapter 4, look at verse 17. In James chapter 4, verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do 
and fails to do it, for him it's what? Sin. Now keep that in your mind. Don't go too far. Go to Romans chapter 14 now. Keep that in mind. The one who knows the thing he ought to do, but he doesn't do it, for him it's sin. Go to Romans 14 and look at verse 23. Paul's talking about whether or not you eat meat, sacrificed idols, and all this stuff. He says in verse 23, But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever doesn't proceed from faith is sin. Isn't that interesting? He says whatever doesn't proceed from faith is sin. And if you know the things you ought to do and you don't do it, that's sin. This is kind of deep stuff, isn't it? In other words... The only thing that you'll be rewarded for is what you do by faith that God will do it through you. Believe that he is true to his word. And we're going to see that when James gets at the end of our study to Abraham and to Rahab. But he's saying this, unless you're doing it by faith in God doing it through you and that you're doing it because God's word has said so and you're doing it in obedience to what God has said and you're trusting that God will reward what God promises. Unless you do it that way, you're sinning because it's not being done by faith. Secondly, if you know what the Spirit of God is telling you to do and you don't do it, that's sin too because good works will follow those of us who are truly saved. Now, we're not going to be perfect at this, so don't, don't sit there going, well, I don't do it every time he says. Well, neither do I. But we want you to understand the whole basic of this, and we'll lay that out a little bit more. Rick, you raise your hand there. Just in Matthew 7, where Jesus refers to those as evildoers that, don't, that are doing it not out of faith in Christ. Right. That's exactly what it is. He was, those ones that did those things, the prophesying, the cash, they were doing it not out of faith in Christ. They were doing it out of faith, and they're hoping it would mean something. Like I've shared with you before, if I ever stand before God, and he should say to me, why should I let you into heaven? First of all, thank God he's not going to do that. That's already been signed, sealed, and delivered. But if he were, my answer would never be, but I preached for so many years. My answer would be, you said that if I would believe in what Jesus did, I'd have eternal life. And I put all of my eggs in that basket. I wouldn't even list anything I did. Do you understand? These people are trying to get in by saying, but we did. Their faith is in what they did. Now... Let me give you another example of the depth of all this. Go to Matthew 13. I just want you to see that what Paul and James are both saying has been in the scriptures all throughout. Go to Matthew 13. Look at verses 18 and following. Jesus explains the parable of the soils here. In Matthew 13, verse 18, he says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. By the way, don't miss that. We've always thought that the seed that fell on the hard path and the birds came and took it away, that people that just never didn't hear it. Oh, no, no. It was sown in their hearts. They struggled with it. And while they were struggling with it, they lost it. Verse 20. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, 
But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, another sixty, and another thirty. In other words, God's not expecting the same out of all of us anyway, in the sense of good works. But remember, there are good works prepared for each of us to do. The things that God's prepared to do through you is what he's looking for. At the same time, Jesus says, the word's going to go out. Everyone's going to hear. And how they respond will show whether or not it's real salvation. And he says, you know what? There's going to be some that they actually hear it. They spring up. It looks like they believe. They say they believe. They received it with joy. But then trouble came. Mama died. And I prayed that she wouldn't die. I asked God not to, I asked God to take this cancer away, and he didn't. I, I believed in him, but he wasn't there for me. And the Bible says they fell away. Were they saved? By the way, if you don't know the answer to this one, we're going to start over. Were they saved? No. They said they believed. But over time, it became evident that they really didn't. The Bible says some seed fell on the thorny soil. And again, they received it. They heard it. They acted like they believed. And then over time, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth took over. Judas sure looked like a believer for a long time, didn't he? Judas sure did. I mean, when he sent them out two by two to go produce, to perform miracles and all that, nobody came back and said to Jesus, Judas couldn't do it. And actually, when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me, nobody in the room said, I know who it is. They had no idea. They're going, is it me? Is it me? They had no clue. Why? Because Judas sure looked like others. But Jesus knew he wasn't for real. Oh, and what happened? Cares of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth choked Judas. And when Jesus started talking about going to the, going to the cross and not being the Messiah that he thought he was going to be now, Judas all of a sudden said, I didn't sign up for this. I thought he was going to help me win the election. Oh, by the way, are there politicians that love to claim Christianity when the election time comes? But that doesn't mean they believe just because they say. John the Baptist would say to many of our politicians, give some evidence that you're really a Christian and then we'll, we'll maybe vote for you. But the seed that fell on the good soil, this is those who hear the word, and over time, there was evidence. They produced a crop. Go to John chapter 2. Go to verse 23. Now, some of you, I did this last night at a study I did, and some of you are here. Uh, don't cheat for the, other, the rest of the people. In John chapter 2, look at verse 23. Do not read verse 24. Just verse 23. Do not read verse 24. If you're using an iPad or a phone or whatever, scroll it so that you only could read verse 23. So you're not tempted to look at verse 24. Oh, and by the way, the more I say don't look at verse 24, the more you want to look at verse 24. Because that's what the law does, isn't it? The law just fuels our sin. All right? And that's why I have fun saying don't look at verse 24, just to watch you sit there and squirm. Now, when he, John chapter 2, verse 23, when he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, Many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. Now, don't answer this one too quickly. Because there is a right answer. And you think you know it, 
and you probably don't. Here's the question. Were these people saved? Ah, you jumped too quickly. Now, the, the right answer is, if you know verses 24 and 25, at this point, the answer is no. But the, the, the real right answer is, we don't know. Right? Because only over time will we really know if they were saved. But if you know the next verses, then you do know that at this point, they aren't saved, even though they believed in his name. Look at verse 24. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them. Because he knew all people, and he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Folks, this is what's been a hard thing for me as a pastor over the years. When people walk an aisle, or they join the church, and they want to be baptized and profess their faith in Jesus, I do my best to see if they really understand and really believe. But I can promise you, I probably baptized some people that aren't going to heaven. But it's not my job to say, I think you're in or I think you're not. That's not my call. I need to examine them as best I can, but I've got to leave that between them and God. There's going to be those among us who are wheat, and there's going to be those among us who are tares, and it's not for us to determine which is which. Doesn't he say, we don't know the heart of man except God? The only one that knows the heart of man is except God. That's why I say we have to leave that to God. But in this instance, the scripture shows us there are those who believed in his name. And Jesus says, yeah, but I know it's not real, real. As James is about to tell us, even the demons believe. Are the demons in heaven? Are they going? No. They're believing doesn't do them any good. So just saying you believe is not enough. That's what James is saying in chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. And thank God the men whom God inspired to determine the canon of Scripture, as they wrestled with this, came to the, the right conclusion. Because God, by the way, I, I, people say, how do you know this is the, the right, that we got the right book? Here's how I know we got the right books. God is God. And if there's a book he wanted in here... It would be here. If there's a book here he didn't want here, it won't be here. Whatever door he opens, no man can shut. And whatever door he shuts, no man can open. Folks, I am confident in this book. Not because I trust those men back in the early part of the church age who determined the canon of Scripture, but because my faith is in, in an all-powerful, omniscient God. And he is the one who's given us this book. And if he wanted some of those other books in, they'd be in. Do you understand? But as the men wrestled with this and sought the Lord in prayer and study, they came to the spirit-led conclusion, James is not contradicting Paul. James is just saying the same thing John the Baptist was saying and that Jesus was saying. And Paul went on to say in verse 10, that if it's real salvation, if it's real belief, there will be works. There will be evidence. There will be fruit. Go to John, or no, Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. We're going to look at this passage in an, in an interesting little way here. In Matthew 7, look at verses 15 through 20. Um, Jesus is speaking and he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. They look like the church. But inwardly, they're ravenous wolves. 
you're going to recognize them by their degree or their seminary or by the fact that they have the fancy clothes or the parking space or the fact that everybody calls them pastor. Is that what he says you're going to recognize them by? No, you're going to recognize them by their fruits. He goes on and says, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree will bear good fruit, but the diseased tree is going to bear bad fruit. A healthy tree can't bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that doesn't bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. There's going to be people that come and even preach and teach who can quote scripture just like Satan can. That doesn't mean they're of God. That's why the Bible tells us in the book of Acts that the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians because the Bereans checked everything that Paul said against the scriptures. Why? They didn't. Well, they, Paul could say, I'm an apostle. Well, there were a lot of people claiming to be apostles back then, if you remember. But what we're looking for is fruit. Good works. Folks, I pray that nobody ever becomes a follower of Jim Johnson. If that is the case, I failed. My job, he said, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastor teachers are to equip the church for the work of ministry so that we'll grow up into him who is the head, into Christ. My role is to point you to Jesus, to teach you about Jesus, to teach you how to follow Jesus, to teach you how to hear from Jesus and how to grow in Jesus. And I don't say to you, follow me and just do what I say. No, and I also want you to check everything I say against the scriptures. And I also want you to examine my life. I'm honored that here on the front row every week is my wife, and my three kids that are full-grown adults. What an honor that is. Because, thankfully by Jesus, I've lived a life and he's lived a life through me that would make my kids want to be here. Do you understand? They don't just see me here. They see me at home. They see me all the time. And I can honestly ask, tell you and ask you to do this. You want to double-check my life? Talk to them. You have permission. But I actually, I would say to anybody here, talk to them. Because one thing I have learned over the years, and I've seen preachers who act one way in the pulpit and another way outside the pulpit. I learned years ago, I'm just going to be Jim wherever I go. What you see here is what you're going to see outside of here. My wife gets mad at me sometimes because I got no secrets. But I've learned over the years, it's easier to just tell everybody everything. And that way I don't have to keep track of how many lies I've told. We're to not just take someone because they say they're a preacher. We're to examine everything and especially examine their fruits, but not just the preachers, each other. Are people seeing fruit in your life? Now, let me show you something else. I, again, I, I don't want to kill you with this, but I really want you to see Jesus had been saying this all along. This isn't something new that Paul and James have cooked up. And look at James chapter, uh, John chapter 8, John chapter 8, verses 30 through 32. But notice who Jesus is talking to. I'm going to give you a quiz here. See if you're still tracking with me. All right, I'm going to read verses 30 through 32 in John chapter 8. As he, Jesus was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. 
and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Who did Jesus say this if to? The people that what? That believed in him. Verse 30 says, there are many believed in him, and then to the people who believed in him, he said, okay, if you abide, continue in my word, you'll be my disciples. Because just because they said they believed, and even had some level or form of belief, Jesus knew didn't mean that they were really saved. And that's why he doesn't say, oh, you prayed that prayer, you're going to heaven. He would say to someone who prays the prayer of salvation, if this is for real, you're going to continue to grow. And there's going to be evidence. And Jesus is going to carry you on into heaven, and the truth's going to set you free. And you're, Well, go to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, look at verse, we'll start in verse 15. 1 John 2 verse 15, don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Children, it's the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. Folks, listen. There are going to be those among us who aren't. Now, is it our job to go figure out who is and who isn't? No. The Bible actually says we're not to examine each other's fruit. Be careful on that one. Who does the Bible say we're to examine their fruit? Our own. And I already told you another group, the preachers and teachers. Be careful that you don't take the false preacher's teaching and now say, I'm going to go and check John's fruit. I'm going to go check your fruit. You know what I'm saying? No, 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 no. That's not our job. But the Bible does say that we're to examine and to see whether or not we see the fruit of the Spirit within us and allow the Spirit of God to show us that. And at the same time, we are to examine the fruit of those who are claiming to be preachers and teachers. Jesus was very loving and kind, was he not? Oh, but who was the one group that he wasn't very loving and kind to? Pharisees and the Sadducees, because they were leading people astray. and He was very angry with them. You to examine the fruit of those who preach and teach. Don't waste your time examining the fruit of the people all around you. Let God take care of that. And then you allow God to show you where you are. You understand? Otherwise, we'll just spend too much time checking everybody on the roll, and that's, that's going to waste our time. All right? But Jesus said to those who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Let me show you one more thing. Go to John chapter 6. By the way, what you're hearing here is going against everything that a lot of us have been taught about the church. Look at John chapter 6, verses 60 through 71. Now, Jesus had just said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. In verse 60, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Now the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. 
by the way, did you catch that word up there in verse 60 when many of his what heard it? They were disciples that didn't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you no one can come to me unless it's granted him by my father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Jesus then said to the twelve, do you guys want to go away as well? Because you're free to go. No one's holding you here. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, didn't I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? And he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Let me make a statement to you that may surprise you. We've been taught to grow our crowds. Jesus thinned them out. I honestly believe that if the church wasn't so focused on church growth over the last so many years, we'd see a lot healthier church and more evidence of the Spirit of God in the church. We're so busy to get more numbers, we're baptizing rocky soil and thorny soil conversions. We're in such a hurry to get new members because that's how we determine whether the pastor's doing a good job, is whether or not the church is growing or shrinking. And we get so excited about growing, we don't even care if everybody there is a believer. We just want to hear they say they believe. But all through the scriptures, Jesus, John the Baptist, Paul, James, have been saying, don't just take them at their word that they say they believe. There needs to be evidence. And especially if they're going to become leaders in the church, those who want to be elders, there's qualifications for elders. In 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1, the Bible is very clear that there's qualifications for those who are going to be in leadership. They need to be above reproach in their home life, their spiritual maturity, their public reputation with outsiders, their, 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 their sexual purity. Folks, let me just say to you, the Bible's clear that we should be serious about whether or not the, the Jesus is in us is being seen. Not that we just say we believe. Again, not your job to worry about the people all around you. Let the Spirit of God talk to you about you and definitely pay attention to those who claim to be teaching you. The Bible tells us those are the ones we should be examining. Leave everybody else to the Lord. But the scripture is real clear. Jesus wasn't in a hurry to get bigger numbers. He was more interested in real, real disciples. Those who would stick. Go back to James chapter 2. I think that's the book we were really in tonight. So oh, you thought we were in Matthew. We've been in Matthew for a while tonight, haven't we? Go to James chapter 2. Look at verses 14 through 17. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but he doesn't have evidence of that faith works? Can, in the way, if you want to put it in your, in your notes, can that kind of faith save him? Is what it's really saying. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? What he's simply saying is this. Uh, saying go just being your words, but no actual actions didn't do any good. You know, that's what he's saying. So also faith by itself, if it doesn't have evidence, good works is dead. All right. Now, we're not going to turn there because of time. In first John chapter four, John even says just because someone says they love God, if they don't love their brother, they're a liar. Did you catch that? It doesn't matter what they say. If there's no evidence, what they say is not real. You with me? That's what's being said here all along. Now, 
for, before we go move any further, it might help us to be reminded of what good works or this fruit that is that God's looking for. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Look at verses 22 through 24. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. But the fruit or the evidence of the Spirit, see that's a capital S, Holy Spirit, is going to be love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And against such things there is no law. Now hang on for a second. If you start right now and think, I really need to do a better job in these areas. I need to be more loving. I need to be more patient. Stop, stop, stop. Anything not done by faith is sin. If you think I'm going to do a better job, you're not doing it by faith. You're trying to accomplish the works in your own strength. That's not going to do you any good. Lord, you said that there would be evidence of you being in me, and though that evidence would be this love and this joy and this peace and this patience and so on. Lord, I want you to do it. Lord, produce this in me. Actually, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses, uh, verse 5 says, May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the perseverance of Christ. You want to love God more? You want to have joy? You want to have peace? Believe that God will, will produce that. Pro believe that God will give that to those who are his and ask him. And then you believe that he will and act like he, it's going to happen. Oh, by the way, jump back to verse uh, 19. Now the works, though, are the evidence of the fruit of the flesh is evident too. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Hang on for a second. Is anybody here never done any of those things that are in that list there? I can't raise my hand either. We all have, haven't we? Oh, no. Are we in trouble? Because we've given evidence that we're in the flesh and not in the spirit. Relax. Take a deep breath. What, what Paul is saying is this. If you live like that, you're probably not saved. Now, if that stuff happens every now and then, you wrestle with the flesh just like we all do. Go ahead, Warren. Mine's got a footnote on 521. Instead of uh, envy, it says, or make a practice of doing. And that's a, that's a, where I was just going to go to. Those who practice these things is a better way of putting it. Those who practice these things. Remember earlier in our study, we've already dealt with those who practice sinning versus those who sin once in a while. Those who make a practice of this. So if this is who you really are all the time or most of the time, then you might want to double check whether or not you really have salvation. Because good works, evidence, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control, these things will be produced by those who are truly saved. And just saying you're saved is not enough. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5 is one that, and there's another one also that talks about 2 Thessalonians. Sorry, 2 Thessalonians 3, 5. Thank you. 2 Thessalonians 3, 5 is where the Lord will direct your hearts to the love of God. And 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17 also talk about how it's God who produces the good works through us. We don't do them. So, I'm not going to get, because of time, we've got 15 minutes less or a little less than that left. In 2 Peter, if you write this down and look at it later on, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11, he, he, Peter says this, he says, God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Through our knowledge of him. So we can partake of the divine promises and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So then he goes on and he says, add to your faith 
goodness and kindness and self-control and brotherly love. For if these are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective. And, uh, and, and then he says, you can also make your calling and election sure. In other words, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Peter just says, hey, now that you've been saved and you've received the Spirit of God, you already got all of God you're ever going to need. Now you have to learn how to let him begin to produce that sanctification process through you. And so these areas should be. So if the Spirit of God starts showing you, you know what, you're not very loving. Say, Lord, help me with that. I believe in you and I've given you my life. I need work in this area. Would you do it? I believe you will. And I'm going to act like you're going to. And I'm going to start loving people, believing that you're going to produce it in me. And folks, it's just the weirdest thing. Some of you might struggle with forgiveness in a certain area with somebody. All we got to do is believe that God will forgive them through you and go and believe, act, forgive them like God will. And you, as you're doing it, you're going to all of a sudden go, wow, I actually do forgive them. Where'd that come from? It's going to be the evidence of the Spirit of God within you. Folks, you're not going to be sinless. But you should sin less as we get closer and closer to the time when he takes us home. Now, many have wrestled in James chapter 2, verse 18. James says, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Many have wrestled with who is James referring to here uh, as who's saying you have faith and I have works. I think the context shows us that the person, whoever that someone is, is the person that's saying that they have faith and faith is enough. So James then says to that person, show me your faith without works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Do you see what's going on? He goes, some of, some of, some of you might say, well, I have faith and you have works. James says, okay, let's say you have faith, you say I, you have faith and you say I have works. Show me your faith without works. And I'll show you my faith through the works. Do you understand? That's what he's saying. And then he goes on and he uses Abraham and Rahab. And I have been so excited to show you this. Go, go to James chapter 2, verse 20. He says, well, of course he says, if you believe God's one, well, good for you. Even the demons believe and it doesn't do them any good. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith without works is useless? Was not our Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Don't miss this. There's such awesome deep theology right here. And I'm going to slow down a little bit and hope that you can see it. Abraham was justified by his works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar, but then he clarifies, you see that faith was active along with his works. The works that he was doing that showed his justification was actually, act, the, the faith is what was driving his actions. And the faith was completed by his works so that the scripture that was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. Genesis 15, 6, write that down, look at it later on. The Bible says this very clearly, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him or credited to him as righteousness. At that moment, Abraham was declared righteous by God because of his faith. Now, he wasn't saved by anything he did. It was a gift of God. God gave him righteousness because of his faith. But listen, over time, it became evident that Abraham's faith was real. God, who is 
outside of time, who knows the hearts of all. Remember, we've already seen a couple examples of people say, well, I believe. And Jesus says, actually, you really don't. And I know you're not going to. But here's an evidence of someone that says, I believe. And God says, yes, you will. Yes, you do. And the Bible actually tells us as we look at Abraham's life that he did believe in Genesis 15 and it became evidenced over his life and even more and more and more as he got closer to the day that God brought him home. Were there a couple of times he didn't act by faith? Yeah. He would lie and say, well, she's not my wife, she's my sister and try to protect what was his. He wasn't perfect at it, yet God knew that what he had was real. And it was evidenced down the road. Go to Genesis 22. Now this is 25 years, over 25 years after. Actually, we're talking probably 38 years after he was declared righteous. In Genesis 22, look at verses 1 and following. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering. And he arose and he went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, listen closely to what Abraham says, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. In other words, we're both going to go over and worship and we're both going to come back. Abraham took the word of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. and He took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said to him, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood on order and, in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. So did God know in Genesis 15, 6? Or did God know here? Yes. He knew, but it was evidenced later. It was evidenced later. Now, some people say, well, he wasn't really going to kill his son. Yes, he was. Do you know how I know he was? The scripture said he was. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. Look at verses 17 through 19. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, and from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. In other words, the scripture tells us he was going to kill him. But he so believed that what God said was true, 
that God had said that it was through Isaac, not Ishmael, but it was through Isaac that his offspring was going to be named. And then God says, I want you to go and kill Isaac. Abraham says, well, the only way that God's word can come true is if he has me kill him is he's going to have to raise him from the dead. And by the way, at this point, we don't see any raising from the dead. There's no Lazarus's at this point and no Jairus's daughter. Yet he so believed that God's word was true. And you know how he proved he believed it? He didn't just say it. He lived it. See, we can say that God will take care of us. But until you act on what he says to do in full trust and faith, there's no real evidence that you say you believe. God will provide. Okay, then he says, trust me and write a tithe check. Lord, I believe you'll take care of me, but I don't know. Lord, we're not paying our bills with 100% of our paycheck. I don't know how I'm going to pay my bill with 90%. I just can't really do that. Well, does that person really believe God will provide? No. Real faith will be evidenced by works. Do you understand what I'm saying? My wife and I, uh, this afternoon, because we just ordered some more books. As we told you years ago, God challenged us in this ministry to never charge ever again for anything we do. Teach the word for free, travel for free, uh, give the books away, all that. We have already spent almost $40,000 passing out just the Revelation book. And we ordered a thousand more today. And let me look you in the eye. It took faith. But God has provided more than that. More than that in return. I can look you in the eye and say, I can give glory to God too. He's faithful to do it. But my faith was tested. I can say I believe. I can preach this stuff. God says, put your money where your mouth is. Abraham believed God. And God being God knew that it was real. And he gave him righteousness. But it was through his evidence of his actions that we became, it became evident the rest of us, that it was real salvation. So I want to ask you, do what you, well, let me back it up and put it this way, is how you live your life lining up with what you say you believe? Now, I have to be honest with you, this is an area that God keeps testing all of us, not just in the area of tithing or money or whatever, it's going to be in lots of areas. As you know, I'm dealing with my brother and how I'm responsible as his power of attorney and some of his health issues. And, and I can talk about how God will take care and God will provide. Let me share a little kind of a funny story. Becky and I were on the cruise last week. And I didn't sleep. The, the whole purpose of the cruise was to just get away, shut it all down and sleep. We didn't get off the boat a couple of times. But one night I wasn't sleeping because I was all fretting about all this stuff that had to be done. And one of the big concerns we realized, because I hadn't seen my brother without shoes on until he was in the hospital, we had bought him gift certificates to get his toes, toenails clipped. And he hadn't been using them, we found out, because his toenails had grown not only long, they had grown around and down his toes. They literally were this long. And I'm laying in the bed on a cruise ship just going, when I get back, how am I going to have to take care of this? And I'm thinking about getting a Dremel tool or however. I don't know how I'm going to get these toenails. They're big. And God, as I lay there two, three hours stressing, God spoke to my heart and he said, give me your brother. And I did. I said, Lord, he's yours. Why am I stressing over this? The next morning, I get a text from my brother because we had set it up that we could do with the Internet WhatsApp. And he goes, 
They just came and got me at the rehab hospital and they took me down the hall and gave me a haircut and cut all my nails. Our actions need to line up with what we say we believe. And there are times when they don't, and God knows that, and he will test us. But if it's for real, we'll pass the test in time. Sometimes we'll fail for a day or two, like Peter did. But over time, God knows. And if you're his, let him finish the work that he's doing with you. We don't have time because of Rahab, uh, uh, we got Rahab here, but let me just say this. If you go back and read the Rahab story, Rahab believed that God was going to do what he said he would do, and that's why she hid the spies. She already believed before she hid the spies. Her hiding the spies was evidence that she believed that God was going to take care of her. She wasn't worried about the people in her town. She was more fearful of God. So, folks, take a deep breath. And say, Lord, thank you that you saved me. And there's been evidence in my life that you have, but you want more evidence. I want that too. Would you produce it? Man, I'd be worried about whether everybody else around me is acting on what they believe. May I be letting you show me where you want me to act on what I say I believe. I love you guys. We'll see you next week. Thanks for coming.